tonight, journalist Andy No, who has previously had encounters in the States with Antifa, joins us to discuss his recent visit to Sweden's migrant communities. I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Right. So you um, you recently went to Sweden, which I thought was really interesting. Sweden is a place that's brought up a lot in regard to the current debate on immigration, especially concerning immigration from the Middle East and North Africa. Um, they've had a large amount of people coming in from that area. And it's somewhere that critics of mass immigration like to bring up as an example of, look, there's been no assimilation, now there's crimes happening, we have no-go zones, things like that, but people who are a little bit more in favor of this immigration procedure, uh, they will say no. Um, you know, sure, there have been problems like any other city would have its problems, but by and large, Sweden is a story of how successful immigration and multiculturalism can happen. Now, you wrote a piece on your on your recent trip for National Review. It's really interesting. If people haven't seen it yet, really recommend that they read it. Um, what was your, I guess, initial reason for wanting to go and explore the situation for yourself? Like you pointed out, Sweden is actually covered in the English language press quite a lot in regards to immigration there and issues that it has with immigration and a lot of the coverage in the conservative and right-wing videos reads quite polemical and then on the flip side there's also a lot of I guess I would call it apologism for mass migration from the left who say things are going fine. I wanted to go to find out the truth and I wanted to go particularly during the um, campaign season just before the national elections. That was a big election because uh, polling had shown that there was unprecedented support for the Sweden Democrats, which is the right-wing populist party who are accused of being racist and so on and so forth. Um, I don't, in in what I've seen of their official rhetor rhetoric, I don't think that's accurate. But they are very unapologetically anti-mass migration and, and come out down pretty hard on uh, supporting policies of assimilation and Swedish culture and identity. So uh, I know other independent journalists have traveled to the area, to Sweden, to do coverage for in particular Tim Pool a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and that went into the mainstream. And for me, it was basically just to find out what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was interesting going through your article is that you do mention um, that there are particular areas, I forget what the um, the term the Swedish authorities use to describe them, um, but they are, I guess, clusters of immigrant populations. Um, you mentioned going to certain areas and seeing increases of, for example, women wearing the veil, uh, less and less Swedish language being spoken. Um, would would you say that it is fair to say that these, quote, no-go zones exist when, when you were in those areas? Did you feel any uh, particular fear for your safety? I mean, was it as bad as, I mean, I, I saw some of Tim Pool's footage. It, it seemed that there was a definite risk associated to traveling in certain areas if you were not, I guess, of uh, a certain religious or even racial affiliation. Was, was that your experience when you were there? So I've never used the expression no-go zone. Right. And you see that a lot in the particularly right-wing press. And I, I find that 
not particularly accurate and rather inflammatory. The the label that the police give to these areas, as you you mentioned, is is called Utsat Um Roda, which means vulnerable area, which you could say is a euphemism. And they have another category for the the areas that have are afflicted with the most criminality, and those are called particularly vulnerable areas. So I did visit. Some of them, some of the most notorious ones in in Malmo, which is in the southern in southern Sweden, and then I went to Stockholm. To answer your question about safety, before I went, I had talked to professional journalists in Sweden, and they recommended that I just be very discreet. So, for example, not coming in with uh, cameras and a camera crew and ready mm-hmm. like making drawing too much attention to myself journalists have been attacked in these areas before um 60 minutes australia in particular Rinkeby, when in stockholm when they went they were attacked so i kept that in mind so in contrast to some of the other areas i visited in europe in this one i really um was very very discreet about photos that I took and most of the time my camera was not out I felt that people were suspicious because uh, they seemed to recognize that I was not from that community Mm -hmm. but nobody approached me anything they just looked at me and stared at me Um, in these areas you'll see a lot of young men and teenage boys loitering around in the public spaces and the journalists who have been confronted before tend to be confronted by these, by young men like that. So I kept my distance and tried to be respectful and discreet. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I I was reading what you wrote and you mentioned speaking with some, um, you know, Swedish residents uh, who, who were born there and they they didn't seem very aware that these areas uh, existed. You mentioned maybe because they simply hadn't traveled there. And and I know from, um, you know, being to places like Chicago or even Los Angeles, even in the States, you do have cases where, um, you know, very different populations exist side by side in close proximity, but there's not really any mingling. People don't move beyond their neighborhoods. Um, It seems to me like something similar is happening in in Sweden. Um, I've done videos about Sweden before talking about um, issues like the Islamification of of Sweden or even things like crime. And I've gotten a lot of Swedish people who have just blatantly say that that this is not true, there are no problems with assimilation, yada, yada, yada. Um, Why is there not more mixing of of these different cultures and immigrant groups among the Swedish population? Swedish population, because if I look at uh, immigration ideals from Canada or the United States, it seems like we're very intent on making sure that if people move here, that they mix in with the general population, you know, adopt the language, adopt the culture, etc. It, it, from what you were saying in your piece, it seems like that's not really a value that Swedish immigration has had uh, for quite some time. So I, I purposely never use the expression no-go zone. I always call these parallel societies. I find that more of an accurate description. And I particularly brought up anecdotes of people, ethnic Swedes that I talked to um, and told them about my experiences in these areas and most of them responded with some disbelief. And while most of, all of them knew about these areas that are, are immigrant communities that have issues with criminality, of course they knew that, that that is covered in the press, what they weren't 
aware of was maybe some of the more some of the details about the ethos and norms that that um, is dominant in these areas. For example, cafes with the are, are in operation male only spaces, um, and some restaurants will even have sex segregation with a curtain. I assume that is optional, um, but. Just the fact that these type of norms about gender are contrast so much with mainstream Swedish society. Right. These were the details that the people weren't aware of. So they were only superficially aware of some of the issues that were happening there. And um, I guess the reason why they wouldn't, inter wouldn't go in those areas is because um, these are literally like parallel societies. They have no reason to. The, the businesses there are not any of the businesses that they would need or want to go to. And so their lives don't really cross paths. However, that's changing a little bit. Just um, a lot of the violence and criminality in these ghettos have been spilling out into more affluent areas and it's affecting people that it wasn't affecting before so you're seeing reports of that as well mm -hmm. in recent and years you mentioned briefly the um i guess the more right-leaning more populist party in sweden uh swedish democrats is it um that's yes. kind of gaining in popularity that they've been painted as racist and everything like that um do would you mind talking a little bit more about their platform from what you've seen because you mentioned that you didn't see anything at least overtly racist and i don't claim to be a, an expert on the swedish political party so i, I honestly uh you know I, I don't want to stand up for these people because i don't know what their beliefs are but do you think that uh their message is resonating among more people you mentioned that they're gaining popularity uh because of that that sort of spillover that maybe hadn't happened in the past that these societies are coming into more contact with each other than they were previously, perhaps that's causing some, some conflict. So they had the best results in the in the in any election so far in, in September, where they had eighteen percent of the vote. Now for for Sweden, a country that's known for its consensus culture as well as politically correct culture, this was considered like unthinkable just a few years ago. And the Sweden Democrats have a very toxic reputation in in public life um, to the point of where you could just be excommunicated from society and lose your job and all that because its roots are in Swedish neo-Nazism. All that's been disavowed. They've mainstreamed themselves successfully. They've expunged themselves of the extremist rhetoric of the past. And I would say that that's what's been able to make them more palatable to 18% of the Swedish public, the majority of whom are not racist, who they're just people who are seeing the problems the country has with mass migration. And of course, things were the sentiment was accelerated after the most recent migrant crisis in which Sweden accepted the most migrants per capita in Europe. That is significant. And so you brought up other things about earlier about America and Canada potentially doing integration better. I think some of the reasons why 
the issue, the situation is as as bad bad as it is in some communities in Sweden is because of such a strong welfare state. Mm. Now, the Swedish work ethic is very strong. So it's a Protestant. It's a country. Um, before 1975, the country was basically homogenous. Everybody was ethnically Swedish. Everybody was um, culturally Lutheran, and they all share in that consensus culture they shared the similar work ethic of working very hard and building up this very strong welfare state now when you're having waves after waves of migrants coming in who need a lot of help because Sweden has made its domestic and foreign policy framework around humanitarianism these communities need a lot of help so they're provided subsidized housing of course and then you get access to the really good healthcare system and so on and so forth this unfortunately de-incentivizes integration and assimilation so if I had more space in my article I really wanted to emphasize more that the failure of Swedish assimilation is not all on the immigrants actually that would be really unfair and i think we need to talk about the policies that sweden put in place from the 70s onwards to encourage multiculturalism that happened starting in 1975 under the um olof uh, palma that was the social democrat who was the lead of the country at the time they really wanted to i mean for them it was this naive idea that you could take in people all around the world and they have exotic cultures and cuisines and languages and let's encourage them to to keep that you know and not in, in, assimilate them into what we are because us Swedes were boring or whatever mm-hmm. and but you, you mentioned that in your article yeah, it's it's not even a speaking Swedish is not even a requirement for Swedish citizenship which I thought was very, very surprising. And, you know, you're right. It's, it'd be unfair to blame things entirely on immigrant populations for not speaking the language if they haven't even been required or asked to speak the language in the first place. You know, we have to look at, well, what are their incentives for assimilating? Is it even encouraged? And it, it looks like it's not really. But uh, you mentioned, I guess, the Protestant work ethic, the fact that historically Sweden was majority Lutheran. Um, something that I thought was really interesting in in the piece you wrote was that you mentioned speaking with someone. I'm afraid I can't remember his name specifically, uh, but he mentioned that based on what he's seen, the majority of the the migrants who have come in since it's uh, 2014 or 2015 are actually not Muslim but uh, Christian, atheists, or agnostic. And I you know I've tried to look at more exact stats uh, about this, but I'm afraid that I, I've had trouble finding some. But it's I mean, in my opinion, based on the countries of origins that a lot of these migrants are coming from, places like, for example, Syria, maybe even Algeria, um, majority Muslim countries, it would seem interesting to me that that wouldn't be reflected in the religious beliefs of migrants from that area, if that makes sense. So I guess, would you mind elaborating on um, maybe what kind of data he was using or even what you saw for yourself while you were exploring these um, migrant communities? Yeah, so I... The person you're thinking of is uh, Tino Sanandaji. Now He's a researcher at the Stockholm School of Economics, and he added uh, much-needed nuance to this conversation because he actually is driven by 
the data, and he does. He looks at the um, the research on this. I actually does surveys and all that to ask about what, how, the, these immigrants and migrants identified. And surprisingly, in, in his research, he says it's a misconception to really just view this as sort of a homogenous um, Islamic block of people. Yes, the majority of them do come from um, Islamic East Africa and the Middle East, but the actual individuals themselves may not identify as being Muslim, or they put that very much lower in how they identify themselves. And he has always maintained that um, the, the gang sub subculture in Sweden, where the violence is being bred, is really actually influenced by Amer American gangster rap. And so I think it's very important um, to nail down that there is a confusion frequently between is Islamic doctrine as versus Middle Eastern culture. Middle Eastern culture does play a very big role in how these gang networks w work and the culture that operates within it. Uh, in particular, they they will draw people who already come who come from clan clan based societies. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's it's. I think that is a good point to bring up because um you know I I studied the uh, Iraq conflict when I was in school and the I guess the tribal affiliations that run throughout the Middle East are are something that from a Western perspective we may not understand so much but it's like sort of the extended familial connections that can cause a lot of things like uh, blood feuds and violence and I I can't see how that would translate very well in a Western setting into things like gang violence. But thank you so much for coming and sharing your insights about this. Uh, I really am thankful that, you know, you didn't personally encounter anything that was dangerous on your trip because I know being a reporter and you've been in some very, very unsafe situations yourself uh, it, in the States uh, of all places. So, uh, you know, thank you for being safe for this time. Um, where can people continue to follow your work and keep up with what you're doing? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Andy Ngo. That's spelled M-R-A-N-D-Y-N-G-O. That's where I, I post daily. You'll find links to all my, my articles as they get published. But before we go, if I could bring up one, one uh, another point sure. that I think is important. Um, I, I do focus on the Islamic element of these communities in my piece, not to be stigmatizing, but because I think it's, I think it's important to pay attention to how the norms of a certain community that runs as a parallel society. So when you go in and you see the majority of women veiled, and the young girls veiled, and even babies veiled, and cafes and restaurants operating forms and variations of gender segregation. You do, it makes, I think any sociologist, any researcher has to look into why, why is this particular form of Islam mainstreamed here? Um, certainly not, the migrants come from a large number of countries and by and large, not all these countries practice, they don't practice this type of Salafi form, but you're seeing Salafi sort of ethos permeate. So, I think the Islam factor is important because it, it it's showing it's demonstrating to me that by Swedish mainstream society pulling away and letting 
these group these communities operate autonomous autonomously then what you have are islamists stepping in to spread their ideologies and to build up the sort of separatist identity and then uh, gang, gang leaders clan leaders also working within within these areas and keep purposely keeping these people separate so the the people who suffer the most from multiculturalism as a political process are migrants and immigrants themselves and i i hope that the establishment left both in sweden and abroad really understand that that when people have discussions about this in, in me in particular when i'm doing this is not to bring ferment sentiments of xenophobia or anything it's really that you go in if you talk to dissident women for example women who don't want to veal or people who are sexual minorities they're really impacted by being in these in these communities where they don't have the same protections of as a white ethnic swede would for example who lived um you know just a few kilometers away in a different area so mm -hmm. i I hope that that addresses some of the the criticisms that I frequently get whenever I write about these sensitive topics. I've written about London as well in in Britain uh, at large. So right, definitely, and uh, yeah, thank you for handling a topic which, like you mentioned, it's very hard to address without um, people sort of questioning your motives or your worldview, regardless of what you've actually said uh, about the situation. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for talking about these subjects.